Welcome back to 30-something with Sunny. I'm so glad you're here. Um, this is the podcast where we talk about all the things that make this stage in life so fun and so complicated. Talk a lot about motherhood, beauty, and self-care, and second chapters, changes people have made, little pivots in life that... Um, gave them new meaning or new purpose. So I am really excited about today's episode because, in fact, the uh, person I'm interviewing combines all of those three things. Um, Lauren Smith Brody is the author of the book, The Fifth Trimester, The Working Mom's Guide to Style, Sanity, and Success After Baby. It is such a good book that is chock full of very practical tips that any woman who's headed back to the workplace after having kids can actually use. So a lot of the books that we read about being a working mom can seem sort of vague. They have really great ideas and they're really great conversations that they start. But at the end of the day, you got to go back and talk to your boss about getting an extra 20 minutes to pump. Lauren has the actual dialogue you can say to your boss, or she has the type of eye concealer, under eye concealer that you can use to make your dark circles go away. Um, the fifth trimester is full of great, great information that moms can take as they go back into the workplace. So this interview, guys, it spans so, so much. We not only talk about the advice she has for moms as they mentally and physically prepare to go back to the office, but we also talk about the changes that are coming, changes on the horizon when it comes to how we treat uh, the working parents in our country. Uh, as you'll hear Lauren describe, things seem a little bit behind the times in the United States where, um, where leave, maternal leave or parental leave in general tends to be a little less generous than other countries countries, there has been a lot of hullabaloo made about this because uh, there's a good reason. Um, the more care that women are given after having children, the better they are shown to produce and work in the workplace after they return. So um, Lauren has taken this book, The Fifth Trimester, and not only educated women, but she's also spun it off into an entire movement. So thefifthtrimester.com is now a place where women can go to um, get advice. They, If you're a company, you can go and consult with Lauren about how to build your company up to better support working moms. Um, and she's speaking all around the country about the ideas in this book. Um, I am thrilled that she agreed to let me interview her because um, I did that creepy stalkery thing I do with people that I like. And I literally just DM'd her on Instagram. I was like, hey, Lauren, I like your book. Can I interview you? And she so graciously said yes. And uh, literally, there's not one moment of this interview that's not useful or informative. She is just um, an incredible, incredible resource for women. And she really helps to um, to make clear what it is that working moms are dealing with, all the new challenges that we have. It's funny because we were having this conversation and uh, during the course of it I had asked her the strangest place that like she had to pump because when you go back to work any working mom knows that like that's kind of like awkward you know like hi boss where can I pump my boobs for the next you know six months or whatever she said uh, you'll hear where she says her strangest place was but it, it brought back to mind a very vivid memory where I was um, in the at the Philadelphia International Airport standing in a giant bathroom stall balancing my pump on a very dirty bathroom sink and like a change of clothes um, on, on the little hook in front of me. And I was thinking to myself, God, we've, we've got some progress to make if that's the best we have for working moms uh, or for traveling moms even. So um, I just had that very vivid memory sort of flood back to me as I was interviewing her. I'm sure you guys all have your own crazy where you had to pump stories too. Um, anyhow, a real pleasure talking to Lauren Smith Brody. Again, in this interview, not only do we talk about practical tips for going back to work and things you might want to prepare ahead of time. Uh, we also talk about finding childcare, postpartum emotions, how to manage your 
yourself and other people at work after you return, how to get your relationship back on track. We're not claiming to be relationship experts. I, I certainly have not. But um, Lauren has some really great and insightful information for people who are just kind of trying to reconnect with their partners after having kids because, as we know, they change everything. So um, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Uh, again, the, books, it, the book is called The Fifth Trimester, The Working Mom's Guide to Style, Sanity, and Success After Baby. And this is Lauren Smith-Brody. Before I start, can you yeah. clarify something for me? My husband and I were having this argument. Um, I yeah. say your name Lauren because I'm from up north, but he <laughs> says Lauren. What is the actual pronunciation? You are so, so nice to ask. I truly don't care. Everybody says it. My husband says it wrong. Um, but it's, it is Lauren. It I was, is um, Lauren. I was yes. born in Ohio, and my parents are Midwestern, and they say Lauren. So it's yes. Lauren. Girl, I'm with you. I'm from Pittsburgh. So I was like, you yeah. don't understand oh, where we come husband. from. They are Laurens. <laughs> That's funny. Well, so my husband's from Pittsburgh, and he says Lauren. Oh, so my gosh. No care. way. Where, whereabouts in yeah. Pittsburgh? Um, he grew up in Point Breeze and um, went yeah. to Winchester Thurston, which was a girls' school until his year started when it became co-ed. How about you? That's amazing. I was, I'm was i from Robinson Township in the McKees Rocks area. It's like right by the airport. Oh, yeah. I went to Montour and we're like... Awesome. Yeah. yeah I love Pittsburgh. Isn't I love it amazing? Pittsburgh. Like, I just got to give it some love. I feel like people hear the um, hear that name and they're like, oh, you know, it's got to be like a dirty oh, old steel no, no, town. No, no, it is no, no. so there's, vibrant. It's amazing. There's so much culture. It's really like, I love taking our kids. There's a million things for them to do. It's really, it's an incredible, it, it's a great city. I love it. I love it. And they're even smart enough to have coordinated all of their sports teams to be the same color, <laughs> which tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> I did read when I was reading the uh, intro in your book, I noticed that you had mentioned your quote, husband's beloved. Pittsburgh Steelers now. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. I think there's even somewhere a Palomalu reference, yes, which might have been is. a bet that we had, like, if I could get Palomalu in there. Like, yes. And it was a reference to, like, letting it flow, like, let your hair out of your helmet just like he does. Yes, yes, exactly. It. Yeah. I love it. I loved all of those references, and you really spoke to my oh, heart thanks. there. Um, I like to start this interviews, these interviews with, with moms and working moms out with this question because I feel like it's a bit of a red herring, but I'm going to throw it at you because this is your whole sort of uh, reason sure. behind this book. Can women have it all, Lauren? Oh, oh my gosh, what a question. So I am I am perpetually a glass is half full person and it's just the way I'm made and I can't shake it off. And so I think, yes, I feel like I have it all at all times, even when I am failing in several areas. <laughs> so I have it. It just may not be firing on all fill. I'm, I'm like mixing a million metaphors here, but it may not, I may not be doing a great job at all of it all the time. In fact, I'm definitely not doing a great job at all of it, but I feel extremely fortunate to have you know, a family that motivates me to do great work and work that is sometimes too busy and family that is sometimes complicated. And to me, that is having it all. Um, I do feel like, you know, there is an expectation that a lot of women put on themselves that they should be able to do everything all at once and do it all really well. And so they think that they don't have it all if they can't do that. And that's just completely unrealistic given the realities of the culture we live in, which is that we live further away from our extended family than we ever used to. We work longer hours that do not sync up with the school day. We do not have federal supports around paid family leave and quality um, child care and all of the things that are necessary. Great postpartum care is that, you know, clearly we know the statistics are really bad in our country compared to the rest of the world around these issues. And so if it feels hard, if it feels like you can't have it all all at once, like, you know, there's a reason for that. You shouldn't feel like it's a failing on your part. 
Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned so many things that I want to dive into. <laughs> but the one that popped out. No, this is great. Listen, I, I could keep you on for three, three hours on this podcast, but um, we're going to dive into everything because there are so many elements of being a working mom that I feel um, everybody needs some some advice and information on. I do want to say to all the listeners, um, the book is called, as I said in the intro, it's called The Fifth Trimester, The Working Mom's Guide to Style, Sanity, and Success After Baby. Um, one of the things you mentioned, Lauren, in, in your last question was... Um, a work environment that many women return to that doesn't seem to be um, overly helpful or welcoming to the needs of this new person that she is. Because let's be honest, we are we're right. different people after having children. Right. I'm curious right. um, to know in your research for this book if you found any reason to have hope that, for example, um, the leave policies will be changing soon or that there will be more companies that are even um, accommodating breastfeeding moms in the workplace. What little points sure. of hope did you see? Well, it's interesting because I do think that um, as as states adopt, you know, stronger laws around in cities too um, around these issues, they start to normalize them. You know, so New York State just rolled out very specific um, uh, regulations around what businesses have to do for their employees. Uh, and I live in New York um, for breastfeeding and for pumping breast milk at work that include things like not just that you have to have space and time to pump, which is which is required at federal level. Um, by the Affordable Care Act, but also uh, the idea that there has to be a flat surface. I mean, like what a basic need, but you have to have a place to put your pump. There has to be a refrigerator, some place to put the milk when you're finished pumping it that's within, I don't know what the regulation is, but within a certain distance distance from where you do your work and where you were pumping. You know, so these these little things really help very, very quickly normalize, not just for, you know, HR and managers and the women who are using them, but for our greater culture, like, oh, yeah, sure. I guess women do need to pump breast milk at work if they're coming back, you know, to work before their baby is of an age where they're weaned. You know, it's it's all it's all when when you handle things at a, a legal level, it very, very quickly normalizes them, which is why I think it's so, so important that this is all being talked about. Um, you know, on a national stage in the, in the debates right now, too. And as we look at who these candidates are on both sides of the aisle, um, who are all really advocating for and know that the general public wants better support around new parenthood. Why has it taken so long for even the discussion? I know the discussion has been around for quite some time, but why does it take so long to see actual action, in your opinion? I wish I had the answer to that. I mean, my, my what I suspect is that the United States, when you look at us compared to the rest of the world, we're actually a younger country. You know, we're still kind of in startup mode relative to these other countries that are thousands and thousands of years old, which we are not. Um, and I think that there is a... Um, a desire to kind of keep lapping ourselves each generation and it's starting to bite us in the butt. And so we're moving ahead more quickly. Perhaps we haven't really taken the time to stop and assess and think, you know, what do we need to do to truly support the next generation? And when I say support the next generation, I don't just mean like letting mom and dad be able to get home to cook macaroni for their kids at night and tuck them in and read them a nice story at bedtime. Yes, that's great. But truly support the next generation so that they will be able to contribute to our economy at an even greater level than their parents did. And in order to do that, it's a really it's a it's a really sort of logical, you know, financial argument. They need parents who are able to work and also able to be good parents and raise them to go be good workers one day, too. You brought up pumping, and I have to ask, what is your craziest pumping story? Like, where is the wildest, wackiest <laughs> place you've had to? Because I know every woman has had one. It's so true. It's funny. Um, okay, so mine was probably, I was working on a project that was, an, I was a, an executive editor at Glamour Magazine, 
And uh, I guess actually I was the number three editor when I had my first time, the deputy editor, whatever. So I was um, working on a project that we did every year, um, the Glamour Women of the Year Awards, which was held then at Carnegie Hall. And we were doing load in for it. It was on a Sunday and I had to pump um, in a dressing room at Carnegie Hall, which was, you know, both ridiculous and probably the most glamorous place I ever pumped. (laughs) That's Um, awesome. But I I asked that question of the women I interviewed in my book and um, there was one woman I interviewed who just, this story will always stay with me. So she's a rabbi and uh, she had a newborn at home and she had just come back to work and she had to officiate in the middle of winter um, at a funeral. And so she, it was a, it was a fairly religious family and it was a long, um, it was a long service. And so she had to, you know, she, she did the, uh, the parts of the service around, you know, the burial and the blessings and all of this. And in between, when she had a moment, she had to go to sit in her car and drape the windows and the rabbi was pumping. And it oh just, um, you know, in freezing cold New York City winter weather. And it, what, it's insane what we make work, really. It really is. And what struck me about her story and, and the place that it ended up in the book was, you know, just about there's so many women who go back to work doing work that supports other families in their greatest times of need. You know, you've got doctors, you've got, you know, you've got people like clergy, clergy women, you know, like this woman, um, teachers, you know, nurses, people in healthcare, all of these people who are doing work that serves other people at a time when they're probably least able to think of their own needs. And yet they must, if they want to be able to take good care of their children too. Mm -hmm. And you know what, that, that just, um, sort of, strikes a chord in me because I personally think that, and I, I don't want to come across as like glib mother, like, oh, we're so great. Yeah. But I personally feel like there is a certain part of you that's like opened up inside after you become a mother that allows you to have a little more empathy and hearing the story of the, of the rabbi and, you know, a new mom, there she is sacrificing her time and being uncomfortable in order to comfort this family in a time of need. As a mom, she's bringing a level of empathy back to her job that she probably didn't have before. Everyone says motherhood changes you. And that just really, that's really touching to hear because I think women go back to their jobs changed for the better as moms. And that's why I think it's so frustrating that we can't be better to working moms yeah. because they need well, us in our, they, they need that, you know, what companies would really benefit. And the, so. the research, the research proves it too. I mean, yes, it's, it's funny. Like when I started doing this work, I actually sort of hesitated to lean on that, like, argument of you're more empathetic, you're softer. It's, it is true. And it was absolutely my experience, but a lot of people sort of bristle at the idea of promoting those, you know, feminine qualities in the workplace. Well, like, screw that. If, sorry, if I could say that on your no, podcast, you can, say, you can drop if, F-bomb, you know, sister friend, we oh, are, we perfect. are not okay, on great. TV. <laughs> but, you know, if, if feminine qualities in the workplace actually make us better leaders, then why on earth would we shy away from that? We need some more men to have more of those feminine qualities too. And I would argue that, you know, men who are able to express their fatherhood in the workplace actually, um, you know, reap those, those same benefits of being, you know, better managers and teams leaders. But there are actually other ways in which, you know, moms come back stronger and better after baby. And I do everything I can to, to educate people about them. Because you do feel like if you're coming back before you're emotionally and physically ready to be there, you might feel like you're coming back from a position of weakness. And yet, you know, the truth is you come back actually much more efficient. You have probably a hard stop to the end of your day, and yet you're still getting your job done. 
Um, you come back after, if you've been on maternity leave with your baby, there's a, what I've found in my research is that actually the reason you're more efficient is not just because of that hard stop, but actually because the transition time that you take between tasks has been shortened because you've just had this baby drill sergeant, you know, basically <laughs> leading your life and teaching you to pivot very quickly. So when you are back in a work environment, you no longer need that like, you know, seventh inning stretch between tasks you just get from one to the other very quickly and it compresses your day yeah it's a lot of women oh sorry go ahead no it's true no one can multitask like a mother oh it's so true and a lot of women like to say also that they're better at saying no after having a baby which you know anecdotally absolutely is is true you're better at saying no to things that don't somehow you know benefit your career or your family that makes a lot of sense but what I like to say is that also you're better at saying more meaningful yeses so that if you have done the debate in your head about you know, should I take this on? Should I go do this networking dinner? Should I go for that promotion? Should I take on this additional client? If you get to a point of yes, it's because you have weighed where you're going to steal that time and energy from, and you've decided to go for it. So that's a really meaningful yes. Um, you know, there's all kinds of studies that show that, that, uh, working moms are actually better at their jobs in spite of the fact that there's all of this bias against us that leads us to be underpaid, um, and, uh, and not thought of for stretch projects. Based on your research, was there an ideal length of time postpartum that women felt physically able to return, more mentally prepared? And I know this would sort of be an ideal world when we would actually be going Mm -hmm. back because leave just varies greatly between companies. But what would that ideal spot be based on your research? it's actually very, it's very clear. So the the ideal amount of time is between six and nine months of paid leave. Um, so it's six months for a long, long time. There's there's current research. There's you know research that was done 20 years ago that showed this. Six months of paid leave is the time that is the minimum time required to be protective of mom's mental health, mom's physical health, and baby's physical health. And that has everything to do with like it's everything from you know baby is less likely to get ear infections. You know if if he or she has been has been breastfed longer. Um, you know mom is more likely to be sleeping through the night at that point. Um, you know, you're more likely to be able to take your baby to get vaccinated on time, all kinds of good reasons. So six months is really the minimum and it has to be paid or it's not actually proven to be as effective at protecting those things. But there is also kind of a cap. And this is what we see when we look globally at the research is that when you get to the point of having had a year or more of leave, it it can be detrimental, not always, obviously, but it can be detrimental to a mother's career. It's harder to get back in. Mm -hmm. So that sweet spot is really six to nine months. Um, the, uh, Bill and Melinda Gates foundation, I really, really applauded earlier this year. I think it was this year. It might've been late in 2018 changed its policy. It was offering a year of paid, um, family leave to uh, moms and dads, and it changed it and dialed it back to six months. And they were not shy about it. They, they publicized it and they said why, and it was because they had looked at this research and they did not want it to be detrimental to women's careers and for women to, you know, suffer from the motherhood penalty for having had this, this longer leave. What they did do to help make up for it is they also then gave these parents a stipend of $20,000 toward childcare, which is the one area that really does suffer when you go back before a year because newborn care costs more than any other kind of childcare. Why can't Bill and Melinda Gates employ all of us? <laughs> because I know, honestly, I know. That's I amazing. Want them to be my additional parents. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it really does take those thought leaders and those, I mean, t- titans sort of to take the first steps toward this to normalize it. But I'm curious to get your opinion as to when the rest of the country will follow suit. Um, because, well, 
it's they're it's outliers happening. right now. Yeah, so it is happening though. So I think that I think the statistic is eighty three percent of um, of the American public believes in paid family leave. Now, as for how to pay for it, that's where it gets more complicated. But when you look at Republicans and Democrats right now, who are you know all contending for this for the twenty twenty presidency or election, they are all fighting for this. They all know that it's something that they have to have as a major talking point, and they have to have talked through. There are two basic plans that have been proposed. The Democratic plan is called um, the Family Act, and it is something that uh, Kirsten Gillibrand and Rosa DeLauro have actually been proposing for years and years and years, um, but now it's getting sort of more attention than it has before. The Republican Act is called the Cradle Act, um, and it is not as inclusive. It is really only for parents. It is not for um, parents of children. It is not for, for people who need to take care of a spouse or for elder care. It is not truly family leave. It's really meant to be parental leave. The Family Act really is family leave. Um, now, the other the other difference, of course, is in how it's paid for. The Republican um, proposed plan would have you borrowing, um, basically borrowing from your own retirement, almost like um, like Social Security. You would sort of steal from your own Social Security you know, retirement fund to fund your right now parental leave that you need, um, which yeah, there's a lot of people have opinions about this. I think it's I think it's not a, I think it's not a great way to do business because ultimately it's going to be most detrimental to women who are stealing from their own retirements and then having to work longer. Um, the Democratic plan is a much more sort of universal we all pay into it plan that is essentially the same model as what we have in New York State right now, which is that all workers pay in the equivalent of it's essentially like a dollar fifty a week to provide family leave for everybody who needs it. Mm-hmm. Now, all of this, I will say, is predicated upon the idea of twelve weeks being the ideal amount of leave, which is a in my, not just in my opinion, actually, like according to the research, is a total fallacy. There's no, there's no research around the 12 week mark as being the time when parents are ready to go back to work after baby. The reason that we think it is in America is that um, that's what FMLA is. So FMLA is the Family and Medical Leave Act that was passed in 1993. It was one of the first things that Bill Clinton signed into into law. And it was actually, a lot of people don't know the backstory. It was something that had been proposed for nine years straight. And this 12 weeks of unpaid leave, which is what what FMLA is, was always meant to be a Band-Aid. It was meant to be a temporary solution that would be improved upon. And then it never was. And then the 12 weeks got normalized. But initially, when it had been proposed, it was meant to be, wait for it, 26 paid weeks, Uh. which is... Exactly the amount of time (laughs) that all of the research shows is actually protective of mom's mental health, mom's physical health, baby's physical health, and dad's bomb at the baby, like all of it. So this just goes to show how quickly we can normalize something because it's in law. I mean, you know, people all the time, and myself, I even thought, like, I had 12 weeks with both of my boys, and I thought, oh, I should be okay by now. I got 12 weeks. That's more than most people get. Um, and, And I wasn't okay. And now I know that there's a reason why. Yeah, uh, you get into your postpartum um, issues after having your first son, I believe. Um, you mentioned yeah. having some uh, period of baby blues. I personally have been yeah. very vocal about having gone through a period of postpartum anxiety with two of my three kids. Uh, I yeah. love that you're continuing the conversation on that because we all need to feel a little less alone when it comes to oh, yeah. stuff. Um, I just want to scream from the rooftops to moms like, you are totally normal if you don't feel normal because yes. it's just done so <laughs> yeah. much. Have you seen women 
women just coming out of the woodwork to share their personal stories with you since publishing this book? Oh, gosh, yes. And it is so, I mean, it's both, it's it's heartening and it's also, it's it's upsetting to know that it is so common. I think the, the most recent statistic is that it's one in five women experience a postpartum mood disorder. And I think there's a real spectrum. I think, you know, there are there are women who need need to be in treatment and need medication. And then there's just a lot of women who are kind of on the fringe and aren't supported and don't have what they need to feel, you know, emotionally okay in this big transition. And it's incredibly important that workplaces, families, our government, you know, everybody does what they can to support them. I mean, who who wouldn't want moms to be healthy to be able to take care of their babies? Absolutely. Healthy mom is a, is a healthy child. Um, yeah. What I love about your book, Lauren, is that it is very tip-based. It's very, like, practical. Yeah. There, it <laughs> yeah. really is amazing. This is the magazine editor and you coming out. You are like, what are the takeaways? Totally. And I love it because there are a lot of books Thank that you. are out there that kind of deal with a greater issue, which are great in their own right. But you are giving women specific things they could even ask their bosses or ask people yeah. around them for help. So what I did, yeah. and, and these don't have to be super long. In fact, just a like a sentence or two would be great. But I broke down yeah. some of the chapters that I thought we could talk about. And you can give us like one quick takeaway because you cover everything from <laughs> you know, the, the early days, finding childcare to cutting the cord. And then you talk about getting back yeah. in. So if I give you, these are all like the, the titles of your chapters. We're not going to go through every single one, but would you give us like yeah. a good takeaway for each one? Yeah, absolutely. So the first one was finding childcare. You had some practical tips for women who are looking for people to help take care of their babies. You went through the whole daycare versus nanny debate. What is the one big mm -hmm. takeaway? Like, what do you tell women when they're trying to decide if the best option for them is in-home care or daycare? Mm -hmm. So make your decision based on your emotional comfort as much as your logistical comfort. Um, that is essentially what the research shows is most beneficial to you and your baby and your ability to continue with your career. Love that. So if you if you know that like, you know, you're going to feel you you want that checks and balance of having several people around your baby at all time, you know, um, even though it might mean that you have to, you know, pick up by 6 p.m. or whatever, then daycare might might be better for you. You, know, you may be able to afford a nanny in the home, but that may not be the thing that makes you most comfortable. Good so do what makes you most comfortable. I love that, that gut feeling again. Um, yeah. Cutting the cord, you talk about the challenges of actually going back to work, the emotional difficulty of leaving your baby behind. Um, it's, yeah. it's rough on everyone. What do you say to a woman who's like ready to head back? Um, Oh gosh, so many things like the whole, like all 352 pages. <laughs> <laughs> Read the whole book. Okay, so cutting, cutting the cord, I think is about, um, whatever you can do to, um, negotiate for flexibility of on-ramping at least, you know, it's helpful if you can negotiate for some kind of flexibility from here on out, but you know, at least for those first few weeks, if you can, you know, work a four day week or leave work at three, that that transition time has been shown, um, through research to really, really, um, uh, be protective of mom's ability to stay in her career long term. I'm just thinking of all the women out there who are like, I so wish that were possible. And it's a shame that probably that's only applicable to a really small portion of women right now. There's so many shift workers or people yeah. who rely on that hourly rate that it's, it's, it's sad that, uh, that that's only an option for some people. But if you're able to, I love that. I absolutely love that. Yeah. You also talk about getting through I want to quit. Um, yeah. Everybody hits that wall. How did you get through it? How did I get? I, I got through it by necessity. So my husband was in his. Um, he's a doctor, and he was in his residency. And I, my salary eclipsed his by like I think I made three or four times what he did at that point. So I didn't really wrestle so much with the guilt of like 
should I go back? Should I not go back? I knew, I knew all along that I would need to. And I actually found that helpful. Um, but what I, when I looked at the research, because the, of the, the 800 women I surveyed, there was not a single person who didn't have like a moment, at least just a moment of, Oh God, this is not going to work. I need to quit. And, um, what I found looking at the research is that if you make a list, this sounds so basic, but make a list of what you get out of work. And that's everything from a paycheck to the ability to say to somebody like, this is part of my identity. Hey, nice to meet you. This is what I do. Um, what you get out of work and then make a, um, make a parallel list of what work gets out of you and looking at both of those lists and thinking of not just, you know, what the tasks are that are on them, but also the sort of emotional satisfaction, um, is protective of your ability to stay in your job long-term. I love that. Um, you dedicate several chapters to one of my favorite topics, beauty products and style. Yes. Um, and then this is where I have to tap into the magazine editor in you, Lauren. You have to give us specific product recommendations that you like for makeup and hair oh. because we have a lot of tired moms who are trying to cover up the dark circles before we go back to work. Sure. Well, some of them I've discovered actually since writing the book. Okay, so um, so dark circles. So clay, this is very expensive, but it lasts a long time. Clay de Pose is the very best one. Um, I use something less expensive that is still not cheap, but it's uh, Laura Mercier Secret Concealer. I find it's fantastic. Uh, so that is that is the dark under eye circles. Uh, for hair, something that I think wasn't even around when I wrote the book is this Revlon. It's like a dryer and a straightener in one. Um, but really, my best tip for hair is to just work with the texture that you have and get a haircut and a hair routine and a wash schedule that that makes your mornings as easy as possible. Um, so that is that is the hair tip. In terms of of clothes, the best tip I got from an expert um, was really to take your closet and make a little miniature section within it of just the things that fit you and that are appropriate for your job right now. And that may be five pieces of clothing, and that's okay, but look at those. And if you don't have a single pair of pants, well, that tells you, okay, you need to go buy a pair of pants. But don't waste time in the morning, which is going to be, you know, obviously busier than it's ever been. Um, don't waste time in the morning letting your closet torture you with what fits, what doesn't fit, what's appropriate. These are clothes you probably haven't put on your body in more than a year. And it's, so, you know, it's natural that some of them might not even feel like your style anymore. So just get some basics. And then as things start to fit, or as you start, you know, seeing things you want to add, add, you know, one piece at a time, and you'll build back up to what feels like a normal closet of a normal person again. I love that. You know, I went to TJ Maxx or Marshall's and Target for my like back to work wardrobe. And I yeah. did the same thing. Yeah. And then I was getting like cheaper clothing, you know, like more affordable clothing that I felt like was on trend. At least I was like back up to like yeah. back up to speed with where everyone, how everyone else was dressing. So I love that. And and you're right. Like don't kill yourself over not fitting in stuff. I think it literally took me, no. I mean, it was a year before my body was completely like not and even normal, like, but like the closest may never, to normal. may never be the same size <laughs> or, you know, your hip bones may have shifted and right. like, they're just, you know, you can weigh what you weigh, but you may never have the exact same shape you had before. And that is fine. Your body's done something amazing. It, it has. I love it. Okay. So real quick though, skincare, any skincare products yeah. or tips? Cause I love skincare. <laughs> so the dermatologist who I interviewed is like dermatologist to the stars. She's, she treats, you know, the people whose skin, you know, is like probably, I don't know, insured by Lloyd's of London or something. And do you know what her best tip was? Oh my gosh. It's her gonna best be tip was 
moisturize and drink a lot of water. No. She basically tell, <laughs> no. swear to God. I thought you guys were always lying in magazines tells, when you said that drinking water was the answer. That can't be that easy. I want to spend money. No, but, <laughs> but so that is actually what she does on uh, for herself too. And she had, um, she had skin troubles during, during her pregnancies, which as you can imagine, she was at that point in her training to go into dermatology and is, you know, it's kind of a liability when you're trying to be a doctor doing this work. And yes, she has like every laser and filler and tool available to her. But essentially, she says what you want is you want skin that doesn't require a lot of makeup and doesn't require a lot of time in the morning. And the way to get that is to wash your face at the end of the day to get rid of the makeup that's on it and to drink enough water that it's really hydrated and healthy. And beyond that, you know, in terms of makeup, just get I, I really relied on and still do rely on about a 60 to 90 second makeup routine and then anything beyond that is, is gravy yes tell us the products in that because you detail it in the book but I would love to know if you've updated your favorites for like the basics sure so um so what I like to do is I'll start with um I'll start with that concealer and I will dot it un- under my eyes and then in that spot sort of by your tear ducts like where it gets really dark on the inside um, by your nose um, so dot it there, but don't actually rub it in yet because then I put on the rest of the makeup and then I, I let it kind of sink in before and warm up to my skin before I rub it in. Um, next, I do just a swipe of bronzer. There's a trick that I learned at Glamour years ago is to do um, a three. So you start in the middle of your forehead and then the, you do the curve around the outside of your eye to your cheekbone. That's where the three comes in. Curve back out and then to your chin. So that's a three on one side and then you do the mirror of that three on the other side. Um, so that's really fast just with a big, a big brush and Any anything you, you, you can like use. It's a multitasking kind of makeup is great. I like the NARS stick for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what is my, my bronzer is also NARS. Um, but any, like it doesn't have to be expensive stuff. And then, um, mascara, if you have time to curl your eyelashes, great. I never do. And it's fine. <laughs> and then, and then a little bit of lip gloss. And that is really, you. I've timed it. I did it once live on TV. You can do it in 60 seconds. I oh promise. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. Really? That's all you really have time for. I notoriously do my makeup. I call it red light makeup. It sounds saucier than it is. Yeah. I, because I leave my makeup bag in the car <laughs> and on the way to school, I just at every red light, yeah. I just put on a little bit more <laughs> if I do anything. Yeah. That day, so there's also this very like kind of having having I was never a I, I top edited the fashion pages but I was never a fashion editor I'm five foot three like I could never fit in the sample sizes that's kind of not my my thing but the fashion editors all had this look about them that was actually almost no makeup and just like a lipstick and it was always like Ooh. a pant a lipstick right like you know like a dark red lipstick was all they needed and they would have sort of this washed out eyes and look so chic it was kind of amazing i like so that. just find find your thing and just okay. own it I'm always willing to experiment with some new makeup shades, so I'm going to take that tip into consideration. Um, Okay, so let's talk about managing yourself and others at work. You touched on this a little bit before, but sometimes when you get back from work, um, people, and you're a new mom, people may treat you differently. There may be some underlying resentment at the fact that they feel like you've, quote, unquote, gotten a break. Believe me, I wanted to sucker punch people Mm -hmm. who said that Mm -hmm. for the past three months. There may be, you know, a lot of distractions because people are coming over to talk about the baby, all kinds of things that have changed. So how do you manage your relationships once you get back to the office? First of all, realize it's not your fault. You know, if people are resentful, it is, it's probably with good reason. You know, they've probably had to cover for you when in fact, you know, your workplace should have had a budget line for some, some fill-in coverage or frankly should have had, you know, a way of having it handled, you know, at a federal level that, that small businesses aren't, aren't penalized for having to cover people's um, parental leaves themselves. And actually the research shows that ultimately it 
does pay these businesses back and it is it is not a financial burden but the sort of cultural myth that we all have is, is that it is. And so a lot of um, resentment builds up between those who, ha- who have children in the workplace and those who don't. So what I say to women when they're first coming back is, first of all, even though, you know, you are probably in like potentially crisis mode of just trying to just get through your day, remember that everybody you work with, whether they have older children, no children, may never have children, whoever they are, has something in his or her personal life that matters as much to you as your baby. And especially if someone has been covering for you while you've been out, make a point of making an offer to them at some point in this first couple weeks of like, hey, can I cover for you at so-and-so time? You know, who knows what it is that's going on in their lives, but just, just, just that they know that you care and you don't think that you're sort of mom period for having a baby will go a long way. And it shouldn't have to be on you to make that cultural correction, but a tiny step, you know, that you can, that you can make really goes a long way. I love that mom period. And, and people aren't trying to be mom period. I want to put that on the record. I was really candidly, oh, yeah. really annoyed by moms for a great period of my working life <laughs> because I was like, Oh, yeah. we get it. You had a baby. Shut up. But then you have a baby and you're like, Holy yeah. shit. This is hard. And so, yeah. I mean, it's it's a difficult balance to strike because uh, everybody, like you said, has someone or something in their life that is as important as our children are to us. So you can't really crap yeah. on that. But I, I love that word, and I think I'm going to steal it. So that's great. <laughs> um, I would also say don't be, don't be worried about necessarily grabbing back all of the work that got dispersed to other people because potentially if there's, if there's some meaty awesome project that somebody stepped into that they want to see through, don't go having an ego about that. Like, you know, ask them if they want to keep it or, you know, whoever's managing, you know, the both of you, what's the appropriate transition. It might actually take more work for you to take it back um, than it would for that person to be able to see through the good work that they've done while you're out. Love it. Okay. Relationships are always impacted after children, um, for better and for worse. What is your quick takeaway tip for a mom and her partner trying to like be normal again? Yeah. (laughs) Is that Um, even answerable? I don't know. (laughs) No, it's, there's so many things. Probably the, the best one is that this was shown in the surveying that I did. So I was really, really wary of having to write a chapter about like how to go have a date night when I know that like <laughs> I date night. I you probably night. are getting so little time with your baby anyway, and you don't want to have to like worry about, are you pumping before you have the bottle of wine and who's paying the babysitter? And it's just, it's a stressful time to feel like you have to go be in the service of your relationship. Right. And so what I found is when I looked at, I asked women, um, about those first few months back at work. Um, So there was a huge percentage who said they actually fought more with their partner than they ever had before. But a large, like substantial subset of those women also said in a separate question that it brought them closer to their partner than they ever had before. So I decided to look at those two data points and see who are these women who are fighting more, but also getting closer to their partners because it meant they were fighting productively and it was like they were doing something right. And I looked at the factors that they had in common. And one of them was that they had a little bit of time together with their partner alone every week, but not a substantial amount of time. So there were people who spent five hours or more alone without the baby with their partner. That would be like a substantial date night or date afternoon or whatever. And they had like pretty healthy relationships. And then there were people who spent less than one hour and they were struggling But the people who spent even just one hour, between one hour and four hours alone with their partner per week, 
were successful and they were that subset of people who were growing in that time. And so what that said to me is you don't have to have a big date night. You can sit on the couch and this is what they were saying they were doing and hold hands and watch a TV show you know, together for an hour once a week. And that absolutely counts and is protective of your relationship. I totally agree. In fact, my favorite thing to date and my kids are six, four and two is in bed watching TV like in yeah the house is the house is quiet the house is clean yeah and kitchen's clean I'm like I, why would I go out I've got everything I need yeah. right here so I love to yeah. hear that it doesn't have to be some big drawn out thing um right. before I let you go I just want to hear a little bit more about you and where you are now this book obviously has, has taken off so first things oh, first how old are your kids and how are they doing they're great so Teddy is eight and Will is 11 so they're getting to be big boys now um they're great and you're in New York City right now. So tell me how this has been since your book has come out. Um, I know that you've sort of done the media circuit and everybody's interested. Yeah. Um, has it just been a whirlwind, whirlwind for you? It has, but it's also been, and this was my intention all along, It's been the, it's been a long game. So this is, you know, the book publishing industry is very much built to support books that like come out and are super popular immediately and then die away and kind of you can get them used, right? No, this book has sold and sold and sold consistently because there's always new moms who need it, which is wonderful. And I'm thrilled that it's out there. It was not an immediate, like it was, it was a bestseller on Amazon, but it wasn't like you know, New York times number one bestseller. And in the moment that that, that, that didn't happen, I was like, Oh man, I've failed. And now I've realized, no, 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 no. This is actually impacting so many more people because now it's been out for a little bit more than two years. But my intention all along was to use also the book as a launch pad for a greater business, because I realized the book can be out there. I've put in the work. It's doing its work out in the world, supporting the moms who need it. And I do the same thing on social media. I really consider social media to be um, a resource that I'm offering to moms who, who need it in the moment. Um, and I'm, I'm at the fifth trimester on um, on Instagram. That's sort of my, my biggest um, venue. But the work that I've been able to do that actually scales this is now my consulting, my coaching, and my speaking. So I go into businesses and I help them make change from within. I help them see the benefit of keeping the, the financial benefit of keeping women in, in the workforce to the point where they're able to get to leadership positions. Because once women are in leadership, there's all kinds of studies that show how effective we are, you know, that we increase the stock value of companies' stocks, that we um, increase profitability, that we, if there were parity in, in American boardrooms um, and in the C-level, you know, positions and companies all over the United States, we would actually increase, increase the GDP by something like, I think it's like 25%. Wow. It's really phenomenal. So you can make that economic case really, really clearly. But in order to get all those women into leadership, you have to support them at the time when they're most likely to jump ship. And that is right after they have a baby. So I go in and I help them see the case and I give them very concrete tips and advice about creating benefits packages and um, and just a culture and um, and in the culture that that really cultivates, you know, um, a, not just a tolerance of parenthood, but really a celebration of bringing your whole self to work and shows that it's actually a great business decision to let people be human and to be a little bit more exposed and transparent about their parenthood in the workplace. Yes, yeah, so you're actually consulting with businesses, telling them how to step up their game. Obviously, the practical advice for moms is in the book itself, but this is a movement. I, I want to make clear this is like not going anywhere. Um, oh, thanks. <laughs> but, yeah, because, you know, like you said, people come out with books and, and it's great and woohoo and they're done. But yeah, I, I'm hopeful personally that this will um, 
continue to create conversations that have meaningful impact on the workplace because um, you are doing the Lord's work, my friend. This is, <laughs> this, is, uh, this is amazing. Um, final question here. What are your hopes yeah. that let's say we reconnect five years down the road or 10 years down the road, how things are a little bit different? I mean, I would love to consult myself out of a job. You know, I would love it if we got to the point where we were back at that original proposed 26 paid weeks at a federal level. And I think that that would, you know, then I could move on to the next, you know, in my career. But for for right now, you know, I'm just going to keep digging in and helping women make change from within and helping them understand their value and knowing that even if they are not feeling incredibly ambitious in this moment about wanting to move up the ladder and and change policies that, you know, just being a little bit more open um, will actually expose the problems that we have to make them solvable. Because most managers, most people are good people and want to do the right thing. They just have to know what you need. So, you know, if I can help 10, you know, a a thousand, you know, a million women be a, a little bit more open, I think we will have great cultural impact. I am so hopeful of that. Uh, Lauren Smith Brody, thank you so, so much. The book, again, is called The Fifth Trimester, The Working Mom's Guide to Style, Sanity, and Success After Baby. And as Lauren just mentioned, you can check out her work at thefifthtrimester.com. Thank you again so much for your time today, Lauren. Thank you, Sunny. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. I am in love with everything that Lauren had to say about um, re-entering the workplace as a working mom. I hope you found this conversation to be as useful and as interesting as I did. Again, you've got to pick up a copy of this book because um, <clears throat> Lauren really dives into, like I said, very, very like practical, you can use them right now tips. So again, check it out. It is sold where all major books are sold. And you heard Lauren mention this too. You can also follow her on Instagram at the fifth trimester or check out the services and the consulting um, services that she has to offer on her website, the fifth trimester.com. More of me and the show notes will be posted on sunnyabata.com. Just click the podcast tab and you can bet your bottom dollar. I will be posting links to those exact beauty products that Lauren mentioned. So If you didn't have a chance to jot those down, don't worry. I will put all of her recommendations in the show notes and you can check them out for yourself. I would be so grateful, guys, if you took a minute to click subscribe. That way, all of the new episodes will be downloaded directly to your device. You don't even have to do anything. You don't have to work for it at all. It's wonderful. And if you had a minute to leave a rating and a review, I would also be super grateful. That helps to get these podcasts out to people who might find them to be useful or informative or fun. Uh, Thank you. Thanks so much for taking a few minutes to listen to this episode of 30-something, and I will see you guys next week with more.